Good evening, everybody. Welcome in to episode seven of the Scarlet and Gray podcast. I am Tyler Johnson. I am joined by Jordan Dalton on this Victory Monday. JD, how you doing tonight, man? I'm good. I'm ready to talk some, some football. Oh, yeah, man. Always ready to talk Ohio State football, especially, again, we're celebrating another Victory Monday. But before we do, we have an announcement. The Scarlet and Gray podcast, now all shows on Network 216, are live on all streaming platforms. We are no longer with Twitch um, for various reasons. So, But either way, we are now live YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. But if you guys want to send comments, send questions, you have to be to make sure that you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. That is free. It's a lot of support for the channel, and we would really appreciate it. So you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's just Network 216, and we really would appreciate everybody's support. Also, that the Scarlet and Gray podcast and Network 216 is proud to be a partner of Underdog Fantasy. And right now, get your pickums in for Monday Night Football. Giant, Giants and Cowboys, you know Saquon Barkley's got some good good prop bets tonight. Daniel Jones, uh, obviously he struggles as a quarterback, but there's some good bets there. Do you think Cooper Rush, do you think he surprises some people tonight? You can enter all of it, and that is for prop bets at Underdog Fantasy. Use code 216 to double your first deposit up to $100. JD, it was a Saturday night that – I don't know about you, but absolutely incredible to me. I I was not expecting this at all. Ohio State just came out and just blitzed Wisconsin. Like, and and I'm not even talking like just defense. I'm just talking just blitzed them. Just got them out of the building after the first quarter. Buckeyes started off up 28 to nothing on the Wisconsin Badgers. I mean, man, what are your thoughts from this game Saturday night? I mean, we. I thought it would be like close. I thought we win by probably like 14 points, maybe a little bit more. I was not expecting this type of performance. Yeah, the offense came out with some firepower. Um, spooky season was definitely in session with the all black. A uh, little bit of fall in the air on a on a really awesome you know Saturday evening in Columbus. Uh, my mom was actually at the game, and she said the weather could not have been more perfect for a football game. So uh, it was. It was definitely a game that we had marked, um, and, man, the Buckeyes came out and really showcased that they are the best offense in college football, and they did it in a variety of ways. They did it running the ball. They did it passing the ball. They got their wide receivers involved, tight end involved. Um, it It was really impressive offensively, and defensively the defense came out played extremely well to start the game. Uh, later on in the game, we kind of um, had a couple uh, minor hiccups. Uh, you know, Allen got going later in the game um, once that defense was kind of worn out, and he, he was able to get some chunk yardage, got a lot of big runs off against this team, and he's one of the best backs in the country. So um, I think I think at that point in the game, if the game was already over, so um, it's not as much to to be concerned with as if it was like first quarter. Allen's ripping off like fifty yarders, but um, overall, it was a, a really good showing for for both sides of the ball, and I was I was really impressed. Yeah, man. I, I again, like everything you saw from from Ohio State, we couldn't have scripted this any better. I know we were talking in our pregame spaces. We saw Denzel Burke was going to be out for this game, and we started to get – I mean, okay, maybe not nervous is the right word for it, but, I mean, there were some concerns. You had a secondary that was down quite a few corners in this game, and it didn't seem to – it really did not seem to matter. I mean, just recapping recapping some of the stats, we'll start off with Wisconsin because the Buckeye offense is the Buckeye offense. Wisconsin, Graham Mertz. Forget everything I said about him being a decent quarterback. He was terrible. This guy seriously should have – I can't believe that he wasn't benched in this game. 11 of 20, 94 yards. 94 yards passing as a quarterback. A college football Division One quarterback. One touchdown, one pick, and a 15.4 overall rating. Their running back, Braylon Allen, actually completed a pass for 10 yards. What were your thoughts on Graham Mertz's performance? Because it was – 
absolutely terrible. I mean, are you surprised that he wasn't benched in this game? Because it was an awful performance by Wisconsin's starting quarterback. Uh, I won't say I was surprised with his performance. I think the defense deserves a lot of credit in 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 how they played Mertz. Um, uh, just to highlight, uh, Eichenberg was absolutely outstanding, and he's been outstanding all year. Um, he was the guy that nobody expected to be uh, filling in such a high at filling in at such a high rate on the defense because I mean, he wasn't even really a blip on our radar when it came to like defensive players to look out for, for the season. Um, this guy might win the buckets award this year. And he was all over the field. Um, just he, he was the highest graded player on P PFFs uh, defensive rating for Ohio state. Um, and and he he is just popping on the screen. He he was outstanding. Um, the secondary, they were young. Uh, I think we were talking about on the spaces we were missing four scholarship corners, but it, it didn't seem mm -hmm. to matter. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Tanner McCallis, by the way, we've been waiting on Tanner McAllister, the transfer out of Oklahoma State, who is the one that's familiar with this defense to really show up. He showed up Saturday night. He was yeah. fantastic. Obviously, the pick. But man, okay. Talk the the play. I know you'll remember this too. At the end of the half, where he yeah. just now, mind you, I think he got kind of lucky, but he still made the play. I mean, he dove halfway across the field and broke this up, broke up what would have been a touchdown. Yeah, he. So that was that was Wisconsin's play right there. Uh, that should have been a touchdown. Um, there there was a busted coverage on that play, and and Tanner McAllister was able to fly across the field and make that break up last second. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I tweeted from the account. I was just like, that was the, the play of the night for the defense. Um, I butchered his name like five times, uh, so I apologize. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was spelling it M-C-A-L-L, but it's M-C-C. Um, but, yeah, I think this was his first game as a Buckeye, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong. I think he was out the first couple weeks. No, he just hasn't been playing. He just hasn't played well. He's graded yeah. out as one of the lowest Buckeye players this okay. entire season. He is until Saturday night. He really had been pretty much missing. That's why you have not really seen or heard much of him. He has yeah, not he, looked good until now. Yeah, that was uh, that was the performance we needed from a player, and and uh, we did talk about it before the game um, that the the fact that we were missing all those corners, there might be a guy that stands out that we're going to be talking about on Monday. And he's the guy that stood out in that cornerback room. Um, and, and he looked really good. Uh, Josh Proctor had some really great plays in the secondary. Uh, and I think overall the defensive line just played lights out and, and Sonny Styles got on the, on the field, the 17 year old true freshman. And, and he, he looks Fantastic. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> he looks pretty good. And they're not they're playing him pretty sparingly, but yeah, I think he was on the field for like nine plays, but he's he's definitely popping off off the screen and um I can't I can't be more excited for him in the future. Uh, he's got a big future ahead of him. Um it's nice to see us too. I think we can agree with this. It's nice to see us too really recruiting that secondary. Because it's been a little while since we've had five stars in our secondary. It, it really has. I mean, man, I can't remember the last five star like player we had in the secondary. It's been yeah, a while. That that's been. I know like a couple of the guys that are are currently there are like four star. Like Ronnie Hickman, I think was a four star. Um, mm -hmm, he was, yeah. Cameron Martinez was a three star athlete that they converted to safety. So there's a there's a couple guys back there that. Um, are, are newer to the position, um, whether it's safety or corner. So uh, it was good to see some guys making plays, finally. Uh, <laughs> finally. But, yeah, you're but, right. I mean, it, like, Wisconsin's offense wasn't one to, to write home about either, like throwing the ball downfield. They're not, they weren't known as a passing team. Um, so – 
we're gonna get we're gonna get into some uh, some big games later on where this secondary might be the reason we win or lose those games. So, mm-hmm. uh, just I will. I think too something to go off about the passing game, JD for Wisconsin. Once they lost Clay Cundiff, that was a huge blow for them. I mean, this is a guy at tight end. He's one of the leaders of their team. When you lose a guy like that. You're on the road. You're already down. You're already getting dismantled, and you lose one of your your leaders. I mean, it was yeah. overall, it was just brutal for them. I mean, they, their leading receiver for this game was Skylar Bell. He only had four catches for 55 yards, and then Braylon Allen. Kudos to him for not giving up. 23 rushes, 165 yards, and a touchdown. I will add a caveat to that touchdown. The game, Ohio State already put in their backups at that point. So Braylon Allen got his touchdown for his stats. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's kind of what I was alluding to. Like he did come on late uh, with the run game, but it was it was too late. <laughs> like oh, it didn't even matter at that point. Yeah, I, I the game was statistically over after the first quarter. Like it, easily, it was easily like, over by the end of the first. I quarter. mean, what, were we up by twenty zero at the end of the first, or it was like early second? No, it was so we were up twenty one zero at the end of the first, and then it got up to twenty eight zero before Wisconsin actually scored. Yeah, so Wisconsin didn't score more than twenty one. So it, it's we, our offense came out. We got the ball first, went down the field, just smacked them in the face, um, and it was. It was, uh, yeah, we just took them out behind the woodshed and beat them. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's really, that's exactly, that's exactly what this was. And I mean, who are some players that really stood out, stood out for you? I I can obviously some, some of the obvious ones, because I will go back. Um, I always love looking at the PFF grades because again, you can't base everything off grades, but at the same time, credit where it's due i think the first guy that stands out for me because i want to stick to the defense for right now because we both have a guy on offense that we have in mind here but i think zach harrison really has played pretty well so far this year and i was very critical at the beginning of the year i told you and nick i've said it multiple times zach harrison was a guy that as soon as he had so much hype building when he got here and he just has not been the guy i wanted him to be like he's always he's always been a guy that struggled, but Zach Harrison seems to be putting it together so far. What what are your thoughts on him as we're as we're beginning the season? So far, seventy one point nine grade to begin this year. Now he's he's playing up to his potential this year, um, and he's playing a lot of snaps. Uh, they are rotating a lot of the younger guys in, whether that's JT, um, you know, Jackson Williams has been playing all over the field, but not just at the end. Um, but Zach Harrison's really stepping into that that leadership role on the D line, um, and him and him and Tyler Friday both had really good games on the line, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and it was a game where it actually mattered what those guys did down low because uh, Wisconsin's run game is no joke, and and those guys are the ones that are setting the edge. Uh, making sure Wisconsin's not getting outside of the tackles, and I think I think they did outstanding. Um, and then they they're the guys that are setting the tone for the the backers to to come down and make tackles, which our linebackers have played really well this year, also. Um, so I, I I can't say enough about how the D line and the linebackers have been playing to start this year, uh, mm-hmm. because this is the this is the first time in. Uh, I don't know, six, six, seven years we've had a linebacker group that was consistent in making tackles. Um, and, and yeah, it's been a long time. I, I mean, I can't even remember last time. <laughs> I had a good group. Um, yeah. So those guys have definitely been standing out to me. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, all, it all starts with Zach Harrison down low. It, so, does. it does. So I think those are the – I think he he's the tone setter for the defensive line. Uh, those young guys are going to follow his lead, and I think he's doing, doing a great job with it. And before we move on to the offense, just want to read the top five defensive players. 
um, that graded for the Buckeyes, according to Pro Football Focus. Tommy Eichenberg uh, was number one. I think he's on his way to being a, a finalist for the Buckus Award um, if he continues the season that he's having, which has been phenomenal. So far, he has an 87.9 this week. Uh, Zach Harrison was second, 77.6. Tanner McAllister, 75.6. Josh Proctor was a 69.4. And JT Tumliala was a 68.6. I know I butchered that name completely wrong, but I get an A for effort. Um, Now, JD, moving to the offensive side of the ball. We saw, and and this really changes the entire Buckeye offense. We know that C.J. Stroud, C.J. Stroud, he threw his first pick. The guy was bound to throw a pick. This offense is unstoppable with a tight end. And the emergence of Cade Stover has was absolutely huge for the Buckeyes. It's going to be huge this year. He is he is now on the radar of NFL draft scouts officially. Dane Brugel from The Athletic was has been talking about him. Four catches, 51 yards, two touchdowns, named the Offensive Player of the Week. Um, by the Ohio State coaching staff. I mean, just talk about Cade, because when you have a tight end to this offense, you already have JSN, regardless if he's healthy or not, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Abuka, Julian Fleming, Xavier Johnson, Jaden Ballard. You just have so many weapons on this offense. Well, that's (laughs) the thing. I didn't, because... They like I'm just talking about the weapons like main that you mainly throw to on offense. They have so many weapons. How can any team in the country cover this? Cover this Ohio State offense? I I think we know the answer. This, they can't. When <laughs> when this offense is clicking, there's too there's too many options for a defense to key on. Um, and CJ Stroud has proven time and again that he can he can pick apart a defense. Um, and he can make all the throws, and it doesn't matter who is on the field for the Buckeyes. Um, they are stacked offensively. Um, we're just talking about Cade right now, but we're going to get into the rest of their offense. Mm-hmm. Was, they, I mean, they were lights out. Offensive line dominated the entire game. Was C.J. Stroud even touched? I don't I don't no, know. I, I think that he might have been sacked once, maybe, maybe. That's a huge maybe, though. I, I I'd have to look it up because I don't remember. Um, but yeah, Kate Stover. Uh, we we asked uh, Nathan Baird about it last week when he was on the podcast, and he said Kate Stover's not the most athletic uh, tight end that we've had. He's not the best tight end that we've had, but for some reason, Ohio State decided this is the tight end we're going to use as a weapon for this offense. And I saw a tweet (laughs) during the game, and it it was somebody tweeted out, uh, Jeremy Ruckert had left some angry voicemails on on Ryan Day's cell phone during halftime. (laughs) 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 Because... Because there was never a game where Ruckert was used as much as Kate Stover was this this past weekend, um, and you know I'm I'm happy for the guy. Uh, two touchdowns, finally gets his first career touchdown um, after after that big miss last week where he was wide open in the end zone. Um, but yeah, this offense is completely different when he's clicking with C.J. Stroud because, like you said when you have all these these weapons on the outside uh, and Cade's running this seam route down the middle and he's making catches and then getting that the yak, getting the yards after catch, um, this offense is just – it just looked different than it did in the first three weeks because Cade had a couple big catches against Toledo um, – and that was the first time we're like, oh, I think we got something here with a tight end. And then they came out, and that first drive, they hit him uh, for a big gain, and then he scored a touchdown uh, a couple plays later. And we're just like, oh, man, we got a, we got a playmaker at tight end, and they're calling him Farmer Gronk. And and it's it's exciting because, you know, he he's the captain on the team. Uh and uh, everybody is rooting for this guy to succeed. Uh, Ryan Day, talk about him. 
uh, CJ Stroud talked about him the week before. Mm -hmm. And, and he's finally like putting it all together. And I'm not gonna lie, dude. I think he has great hands. I think he can catch anything. I mean, he had, he had that one catch where he got, he like landed on his head, I think. And he still almost caught the ball. Um, but yeah, he he's been outstanding. I I've, I'm really excited to see uh, what what the rest of the season has in store for for him in the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because they're using him, they're using him in a lot of different ways. They're not just lining him up as a normal tight end. A lot of the plays they they put him out wide. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but they'll they'll line him up out wide and then they bring him down the line uh, as like, and then he'll he'll be like a. I don't even know what you call it. like a cutback blocker. For- oh, dude, that that was something. By the way, I don't know if you saw, that Dame Brugler pointed out that his blocking is just. Hey, you could literally watch him every beautiful. run play, every big run play we uh, we broke against Wisconsin. Cade mm-hmm. was the was the one that had the block that sprung it. Exactly, and. and so you add that on top of his pass catching abilities and his, his playmaking abilities in space. And he's, he is looking like a serious weapon for the Buckeyes moving forward. So I'm really excited to see where, where that takes our offense. Yeah. I mean, I, I am too. There's no doubt about that. I, I mean, speaking of just the offense in general here, we just got to go over some stats. CJ Stroud, <laughs> 17 of 27, and you could make the argument that he, like, missed on a decent amount of throws he normally doesn't miss on. But still, 17 of 27, 281, five touchdowns, one pick, 98.7 QBR. Travion Henderson, 21 carries, 121 yards, no touchdowns, but 5.8 yards a carry. Mayan Williams, 11 carries, 101 yards, 9.2 yards a carry, and two touchdowns. Before we get into the receivers, were you a little surprised at how much they leaned on Travion? Um, after Mayan Williams kind of had his breakout in the first half, because Mayan Williams had 11 carries, and then after that, it was all Travion basically, and they just so, went straight Travion. The way I look at that is, I think you're gonna you're gonna hate me for this, but I think they view Mayan Williams as the tone setter, uh, the the running back one per se. Um, Interesting for this, for this okay. and I'm and. I understand that there's there's a very major difference uh, between Henderson and Williams and how they run mm-hmm. and what their abilities are in space. Williams is not going to break a, a super long run. I think they said during that game he's only had one run greater than 35 yards in his career or something. So yeah, he's not, it's he's, true. He's not going to break a huge – it was probably that, his first game last year where he broke that huge one. Um, but yeah, he's not going to break these big, big runs, but he runs hard and he's a very patient runner with the football. And I think, I think just the way that they, they view him and, and, and you can almost see with the offense that when he's on the field, they are able to move the ball more effectively, uh, just, just it's almost like the defense isn't keen on him being on the field because I think, I think everybody knows what the ability of Travion Henderson and what he can do. Mm-hmm. And when he's on the field, I think that that sends a red flag up for the defense. And I think everybody's just getting hit in the mouth with, with mine Williams this year. Um, you know, he was in my dark, ho- dark horse for offense. Um, I thought he was going to be the guy that, that really benefited from playing alongside Henderson, but just the offense in general. I think I just thought there there would not be a lot of defenses that would be worried about Mayan Williams, and he's really proven that that he might be the guy in that running back room. Um, and and he he's not he's not the end all be all at running back, but he's he's the power back, the short down yardage guy. And he's like the perfect complement to Travion Henderson. I would even make the argument with mine, Williams. This guy would start for any team in the country, pretty much, unless unless you're Texas that has um, Bijan, Bijan Robinson. Other than I think, that, I think Allen for Wisconsin is, is that's fair in the conversation. But 
Mario Williams has has just proven that he he is that guy. He he's he's been he's been lights out for the Buckeyes this year, and they are just par for the course, staying pretty consistent with splitting carries between the two guys, and and their yardage is almost identical right now. They, mm-hmm. they both have run for about 310 yards. Um, they're both averaging over six yards a carry. They both have three touchdowns. They both have uh, 43 plus carries. Um, so it's it seems like they they like giving one guy a breather while the other one takes the field, and it's I think it's it's worked out really well. I, th- I think that was something we didn't quite expect as a as a podcast as a group. We all kind of that had, Mayan Williams would be this much featured, right? And it's worked out really well for for both guys. I think I think um, Mayan's really proven that he belongs and that he deserves the playing time that he's getting. So, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, we're very spoiled here in Ohio. For the Browns, we have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. For Ohio State, we have Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. Uh, before, before though, that we uh, move on and uh, get to our guest that we have this evening, I just wanted to read off some final stats for the wide receivers. Emeka Abuka, six catches, 118 yards, two touchdowns, 19.7 yards a catch. Julian Fleming, four catches, 67 yards, one touchdown. Uh, Julian Fleming finally looked like the player we've been waiting on. Um, obviously, we mentioned Cade Stover earlier. Marvin Harrison Jr., this one surprised me. Three catches, 45 yards. That's it. That one surprised me. I mean, because he, he, he made a lot of noise that game for the cleats he wore in his Apple Watch. But <laughs> other than that, it was kind of a surprise that uh, that Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't targeted more. Were you a little surprised by that? No, dude, we have so many weapons offensively. And, and there's no way you – it you can feed all these weapons and everybody get get the stats, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's too many mouths to feed, man. It there is, and it's in college football. It's a little bit different than like NFL because Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a first round pick. It easily he's he's his size, his hand, like he's already proven it on the field, um, but. We have so many players that that have shown this season already. It's early. We're four four zero, and we've already seen so many wideouts being featured in this offense. And I don't even think JSN has a touchdown this year. And there's there's still like Egbuka has been phenomenal. He's he's been everything and way more than we ever thought he would be. Um, this early in the season, uh, Marvin Harrison, he's he's the dude. Um, but then Julian Fleming finally gets on the field, scores two touchdowns, and and you can just see how explosive this offense can be. And it's it's scary. It's scary for a lot of these defenses that we're we're about to play. Yeah, it really is, man. And as as we're wrapping up the offensive side of the ball. Just some final player grades. Mine Williams, he graded out at an 88.7. Now, mind you, again, didn't play a ton of snaps, but still ran for over 100 yards, so I have to mention him. Cade Stover was number two at an 84.7. Emeka Buka, an 82.3. Luke Weipler was an 80.7. And Donovan Jackson, a 79.2. So another great performance uh, overall by the Buckeye offense, but also just the offensive line in general. Was fantastic. And before we get to our guest this evening, just want to take a minute. I mean, we're wearing our shirts as always, but the Scarlet and Gray podcast in Network 216 is proud to be a partner of Homage Athletic Apparel. Right now, guys, you can go get your OSU Jam shirt. That's with CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. If you want one with Travion Henderson and CJ Stroud, you can go get that as well. All kinds of Ohio State gear for you. I'm wearing mine. I'm always supporting that CJ Stroud Heisman campaign. Be sure to go get your gear again. We post the links on our page very frequently. You guys can go in um, and and really purchase some of that. And you guys need it. I mean, Ohio State this year, 
they're on their way to hopefully competing for for a national title. And you guys need that gear. You got to get ready for this season. Homage has a lot of great apparel for you guys um, that you'll love. And the best thing about it, too, so comfortable. I mean, J.D., we talked about it before, like even off show, too. One of the things about Homage that's just fantastic is the fact that everything about it, dude, is just it's comfortable. Some shirts that you'll get from some of these other companies, dude, they're so they're bulky and whatnot. And it's just sometimes um, it's just not the most comfortable, but you do not have that issue with homage whatsoever. So I don't know about you, but really thankful for my homage gear. Heck yeah, dude. I, <laughs> I, I love, I have an NBA jam calf shirt with uh, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley. I didn't, I actually was wearing it all day today. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, can't, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with that. Obviously, especially with, uh, with the Cavs becoming as good as they are, I mean, and the talent that they've got coming in. But, uh, guys, pretty like here any second, we will be joined by Brian um, Fonseca. He is host of the <clears throat> of the Rutgers Ramp podcast, and also he is a beat reporter for NJ.com. Brian, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Hey, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, so this weekend's game, Ohio State versus Rutgers, the first thing we want to get into is kind of some of the losses that Rutgers have had this year talent-wise. They lost two of their best offensive weapons, Bo Melton and um, Isaiah Pacheco. Can you talk about how that's really affected the Rutgers offense so far this year? Yeah, they've, they've been I'll, – I'll start with Bo Melton. They've, they, they've missed a major receiving weapon. There hasn't really been a guy that's kind of replaced them in that sense and been – the leading guy, he he was the leading receiver for three straight years before he left. Uh, Taj Harris, a Syracuse transfer, was supposed to be that guy. Uh, he left the program after one game for personal reasons. Uh, you know, unenrolled from the school, so there's no shot he's coming back. Uh, that that left a major hole. And there have been some guys by committee who have shown up. Eric Cruikshank, uh, uh, Chris Long has flashed the freshman kid, uh, but no one has really grabbed the spot as the top wide receiver. And and part of that is because of some offensive line struggles. Part of that is because of a shuffling of quarterbacks, some injuries back there. Uh, so there's a lot of factors, but as far as replacing Bo Melton, no one has really stepped up in, in that regard. And Isaiah Pacheco, I should say, sorry. Um, they're running a bit of a running back by committee uh, as well. Uh, Kyle Manungai is the leading guy, but uh, Al Shadi Salam, a sophomore, is, is a guy, a more shifty guy. He's playing a lot of snaps. And Sam Brown, a true freshman, big body, really bruiser type running back. He's been getting more and more run as the season has come along. So no guy has replaced Pacheco per se as the guy, but uh, they're kind of, again, going by committee, and that's affected by the offensive line and the rest of the, the offense. Yeah, and one of the big questions, and you actually wrote a really good piece on this that I want you to kind of dive into a little bit. Right now at the quarterback position, um, it's kind of uncertain for Rutgers. Evan Simon's been the guy. Um, it looks like here these last couple games, G Gavin um, Wimsat, he's also has gotten some reps, but they still have Noah Vidral. What is the situation with the Rutgers quarterback position? What do you think it means for Saturday's game against Ohio State, considering Greg Schiano sounds like he's unsure of who's going to be the starter on Saturday? Yeah, the, the in, there's injuries to two guys, Noah Vedral and Gavin Wimsett. They, they both missed the last game. Uh, Vedral's been hurt since training camp. And then Wimsett got hurt against Temple. Uh, from what sounds like what Shiano told us today, they're not sure who is going to be ready on Saturday just yet. They'll know more when practice starts again tomorrow. Uh, I would probably assume that Evan Simon, who started the last two games while those guys were hurt, uh, will get to start again. Uh, he was you know, up and down against Iowa. A lot of that had to do with the offensive line. I mean, he, he got sacked three times, hit 12 other times, just pummeled throughout the game. Um, so when he wasn't getting pummeled, he was a bit better. It's hard to really gauge that considering, you know, he probably was nervous about pressure coming because he was pressured on half a snap. So uh, he's a young guy. He's learning. He's growing with more experience. Uh, but I, I just don't know if Ohio State is going to be a place where he takes another step. I think it's going to be a matter of for him and really for most of this Rutgers team of, of surviving. And, and, and kind of given the, the quarterback situation, who do you think? And again, it, it's hard to know because, I mean, we're mon it's Monday and we have a couple of days before before a decision has to be made, who do you think ends up starting on Saturday? I'll, I'll assume Simon only because I know I know he's healthy, or I believe he's healthy. We talked to him after the game on Saturday. No indication he got hurt. 
And as for the other guys, I don't know. You know, last I saw, they were they were hurt. They warmed up before Iowa, but they weren't healthy enough to play. I'm going just health based on health, purely on what I know. It's going to be Evan Simon. Awesome. Awesome. And, and some of the things, uh, I mean, you kind of mentioned like Rutgers, they don't really have, they haven't really found a running back this year. Um, that's really replaced Isaiah Pacheco and same with the wide receivers, but who are some players on the offensive side of the ball that Ohio's that Ohio state fans need to really know about on this Rutgers team? Aaron Cruikshank, wide receiver, Wisconsin transfer, dynamic guy. If he gets the ball in his hands in space can, can make some things happen. Uh, Sam Brown, a freshman, again, a freshman running back who's really been emerging. I think he has a chance. He's had their biggest run for the past two games. Uh, he has a chance of of maybe splitting one. Uh, Al-Shadi Salam, if he gets in space, is, is dangerous too. But there's no real home run threat. Um, maybe Chris Long, again, another young guy who's emerging. But there's no real home run threat, no real one guy who's like, you have to key in on this guy, which is partly part of the problem for this Rutgers offense, that they have no go-to, go-to guy, no guys really emerged. Yeah, I mean, kind of going along, kind of going along with that. How how do you see Rutgers? And again, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Obviously, that they are huge underdogs coming into the shoe. About I believe 39 point underdogs. For them to have a chance on Saturday, what do you think needs to happen? A meteor needs to fall on Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, really, I think, and I think everyone's realistic about it. I, it, it would take you know a, a miracle. Seriously, I, I just the talent gap is so wide. The the everything between these programs is just so wide, and it, it, that's even under normal circumstances. Rutgers is banged up in a lot of key positions. Ohio State looked like they could have scored a thousand points on Wisconsin if they wanted to. It just mm-hmm. it, it's really hard. To, it would be, I think, no exaggeration, one of if not. Okay, not the maybe not the biggest upset in the history of college football, but it'd be up there. It'd be it would be unbelievable. If Rutgers, I would be surprised if Rutgers kept it within three scores. I think if they win, it would be one of the greatest upsets. I, I just, I don't think there's really any scenario where, where it could happen, frankly. I'd like to take that question and kind of turn it into uh, a, a different direction. So Greg Schiano had a really good first tenure with Rutgers. He, he ended up leaving, uh, coached at Ohio State for a couple seasons as a defensive coordinator. What is the general perception of him there at Rutgers right now and where he's taking the program in the future? Greg Schell is, I think everyone would agree, the greatest coach in Rutgers history. He just became the winningest coach in Rutgers history a couple weeks ago. Uh, Part of that is the lack of history within the program. They've been playing college football more than anybody, but really have not won as much as most programs in in Power 5 football. That's just the truth. Uh, Greg is the one guy that, for whatever reason, all of his traits, his his New Jersey-ness, his charisma, his his football know-how. He'll figure out how to win at this place. Um, they're building towards – the hope is to build towards what they were when when he left, you know, a consistent bowl team who every once in a while could spring together a special group of guys that can make a run, an 06-type run. If Shano had stayed uh, another two years after that, they, they had a, a tremendous 2011 class that really could have been special. Uh, that's, those are always what-ifs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the hope of, of, of building back up to that. And I think Rutgers fans – the majority, those who have perspective and understand this place, know that Shiano is, is the right guy for the job. I think he's done about as good a job as anyone could have reasonably expected since he's come back for the second time. Uh, there are bumps in the road. I don't think people are particularly happy with how the Iowa game happened this weekend. But on the whole, I, I got to think that a majority of the Rutgers fan base is really happy at where they are, especially given where they were when, when he took over three years ago. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking off uh, Jordan's question there, as far as like with Greg Schiano and the Rutgers program, would you say, because, I mean, there are some programs in the Big Ten, obviously, that are a little bit down. Would you say Rutgers, I mean, since they've gotten to the Big Ten, obviously, they were a doormat really the entire time. But with Greg Schiano, do you think they're more of the one, more of an up and coming program now in the Big Ten, not just for football, but basketball and other sports as well? Certainly, other sports they've they've proven that in the last few years, uh, a lot of those programs, you know, basketball, field hockey, uh, women's soccer, men's soccer is on the come up. You know, a lot of the Olympic sports are in the right direction, and football is trying to trying maybe not trying to follow that. It's probably you know I don't think Rex Channel is watching what the women's soccer program is doing and emulating that. But my point being, they're trying to follow that success. Greg has said multiple times that he feels the trajectory is going in the right direction. Uh, it's not, a, and he keeps reiterating uh, he did it again today that it's not a direct shot. It's not all the way up. There are bumps. Uh, but I, 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 I tend to agree from my vantage point. They're 
they are improving year year after year. You can see it on the recruiting trail. You can see it on the field. Uh, it's just a matter of, I think Rutgers has gone from being that doormat, that automatic win on everyone's schedule, to a team that could beat teams, you know, in in the bottom to middle of the pack. And now it's a matter of building to the point where they can threaten a team like like Penn State or Michigan State, that that upper tier that's just below Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been Rutgers has been really fun to watch, especially in the NCAA tournament the last couple of years. I've really enjoyed watching them. But Brian, as far as like for this weekend's game, we want to end it, um, of course, with the prediction. Uh, what do you think the final score ends up being this weekend? Sure, uh, I I saw you guys plugged the, our podcast. We I really appreciate that. We had recorded an episode today about three mm-hmm. hours ago. I made the prediction. I'll give you the same prediction. I think Ohio State could score a hundred points if they wanted to. I really do, and I think that. They will stop at 56, 59, something like that. I just mm-hmm. I just can't imagine them running up the score. Uh, so given that, and I, I just don't think Rutgers can score enough points to cover the 41 if that's the case. So mm-hmm. I, I think I went with 50, Ohio State 56, Rutgers 10, uh, some some variation of that. I, I just I don't think this will be a game the same way that Ohio State scored that first touchdown against Wisconsin and everyone in the building knew it was over. I think it'll mm-hmm. be a similar deal that I mean, unless Rutgers takes a miracle seven nothing lead, I just don't think there's going to be really, really any suspense uh, at the shoe on Saturday. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Brian, for joining us. We really appreciate it, you guys. Um, you can read his work at nj.com, and again, you can listen to the Rutgers Rant podcast um, that Brian hosts. So, thank you, Brian, so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank yep, you. thank you so much. Man, JD, I mean, like with Rutgers, I mean, he was honest. I mean, their quarterback situation right now is kind of brutal. I mean, they truly do not know who their quarterback is going to be. Like, that's got to be a very uneasy, especially when you're going into Columbus. Yeah, yeah, like you're you're going into Columbus, and again, it's nothing against Rutgers, but any team going into Columbus, it's brutal for them. Even with your starting quarterback, Rutgers doesn't even know who their quarterback will be will be on Saturday. Yeah, that's got to be really tough. Uh, God bless Rutgers, man. <laughs> I just remember when they – like Greg Shiano's first tenure, they they were on the up and come up. They had some really good players. Um, and Hey, Ray, Ray Rice, yeah, Brian they, Leonard. They had some really good players, and they were, you know, cons- like you said, consistently in bowl games every year. And It would just be – I think it would be great for the big time to have – a Rutgers return to, to at like good solid football. I think, mm-hmm. I think that would, I mean, it could not hurt anything. That's, a, and that goes for any team in the Big Ten. Good Big Ten football from every school just makes everybody better. It makes the football to watch better. I, dude, I, I'm my biggest pet peeve with college football, and you could probably attest to this too, is how mm-hmm. many games are blowout uh yeah it's it's the it's a worst, problem dude it's the worst part about college football it's such a top heavy uh organization uh when it comes to football and and it like i said like when when teams are better when Rutgers is better when Maryland's mm-hmm. good when these bottom t- like northwestern's good illinois is good when those teams are good that makes the football so much better to watch. Yeah. And so I, I root for every Big Ten team to win as long as they're not playing Ohio State, mm-hmm. as long as they're Michigan. But <laughs> but even I, I sometimes root for Michigan to win because if they're undefeated at the end of the year, that's just more for us, you know, if we beat them and, and we were trying to make a statement going into the, the playoff. So, yeah, it's just um, – Hopefully, it's a decent game for the first quarter. But yeah, I don't. I don't honestly see it being much more than a uh, a check in the box. Uh, offense works on what they need to work on. Defense, uh, obviously, we have to work on the secondary. But everybody just kind of they work on what they need to improve on during this this week going into Rutgers, and they execute, and we get we get the easy dub. And you kind of make a good point as far as like a lot of college football, not all, but you do make a point. A lot of college football, the, the elite programs, so Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, 
well, maybe not Clemson as much this year, but just blowout teams. And it's seriously every every single week until about either you get to the college football playoff or you have one top like game against a top team that it's tough. Like, and I think you make a good point because a lot of people like college football more than NFL, like professional football, NFL. You, but with the NFL, it's competitive every week. I, I mean, we saw. We, I'm not going to get too much in the NFL talk because I'll save that for uh, Faithful Dogs on Wednesday nights. But um, as far as as far as NFL, like Jacksonville went to LA and destroyed the Chargers. I mean, you just have these games where these teams that aren't good are winning games, and in college, it does happen from time to time. But if you're one of these top teams, man, you rarely lose. I will rarely say lose. there are a lot of blue blood programs this year that are being challenged by smaller schools. Um, mm-hmm. Who is it? Middle Tennessee just beat somebody, right? Somebody big. You know, they just went to Miami. They got paid $1.5 million to yeah. go to Miami and destroy them. Yeah, so like that, and that's happened quite a few times. Appalachian State won against Texas A&M this year. Like there, there are games that 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 is what makes college football great is when those smaller schools get paid to go in there and beat a school. <laughs> um, but it it doesn't happen often, and even within our own conference, even within the Big Ten, we have such a power. Uh, I don't even know a power curve that these, <laughs> these bottom tier teams, there's like no chance that they compete there. There's like, and, and I personally, I think they, there's going to be a reorder coming, um, especially with this, you know, with USC, USC and UCLA joining the big Ten. Yeah. There's going to be a big reorder of conferences um, you know, we're not going to have the East West anymore. It's going to be, um, they're going to reorder it because every year it's Ohio state against it's Ohio state or Michigan against Wisconsin, Minnesota, it's either Wisconsin, Iowa. Northwestern. It's so far, it's pretty much been North, uh, Wisconsin or Northwestern and Minnesota made it that one year. Um, yeah. but, but they, that side of the Big Ten is way more competitive than our side. And our side is so top heavy compared to their side. Mm-hmm. Like when's that when's the last time they won the Big Ten championship, the West? They I they have never won the Big Ten championship. Right. So why are we <laughs> why are we still doing this? Why haven't we changed the way that we're 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 running the Big Ten championships? So, like, or why it's real or why not realign? Yeah, they, I mean, they should have realigned years ago. The way they realigned, like the original Legends versus whatever it was, Divisions. Do you remember that? Oh, I know, I know, Legends and Leaders, I think is what it was. Yeah, the Legend and Leaders division. And I think it's basically what the East and West is. And then they added in Rutgers and Maryland. And, See, uh, I, I think, I think with, I mean, with USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten here, you are going to have to realign. And I could see a scenario, not saying this happens, but be huge for the Big Ten if they did this. You realign it, you have Michigan and Ohio State in separate sides because right. then you get that you, you have the opportunity to p- potentially have a Big Ten championship game of Ohio State, Michigan. And then I could see like you would play Ohio State with, U- with USC. I mean, there are a lot of possibilities then, here. And Ohio like, we State can has to play USC once a year. And yeah. then that is like an ultimate moneymaker. That's the – Who doesn't want to see that? That's the 1962 Rose Bowl rematch every year. And you you switch it between the Horseshoe and the, and the Rose Bowl. Like, come on, dude. Or the Coliseum, sorry. But, yeah. like, uh, even if, like, they have to play UCLA in the Rose Bowl, like, that's – like, Ohio State's going to – their, their fans are going to sell more tickets in UCLA. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. There's probably more, there's probably more Ohio state fans in Southern California than UCLA fans right now. It was like when we Ooh, went, to, that's we, quite a statement. Okay. 
Dude, they need to show up for their games. They they literally they that's embarrassing. It. They literally almost lost to South Alabama with nobody in the stands. Like mm-hmm. so it's embarrassing, I, dude. I mean, it'll it'll be really cool to see how how they realign. Um, and who knows, we might actually get a couple more additions by the time uh this 12 team playoff rolls around and like, like we talked about with, at the beginning of the, the season with, with who we'd like to see in the big 10, you can see a lot of these pac 12 teams moving into the big 10 and get a lot of, lot of rumors around Washington and Oregon. So we'll see it, you do that. Things really get interesting. The big 10 strengthens if that happens. And, Absolutely. And with uh, Texas, Oklahoma going to the sec, there's going to be some really good college football, good regular season college football with those programs playing each other. Um, now I, I love watching SEC football just because those games are usually pretty close um, with with a lot of those teams. Like Tennessee's got a really good team this year. and Tennessee is a sleeper right now for the college football playoff. They really are. If they if they can make it through the bus hall of, and beat either one, of Alabama or Georgia, they got both on their schedule remaining. Um, if they can beat one of those two teams, dude, I'll see you in the in the college football playoff because I, th- I think one win over those one, uh, one of those two teams is going to be enough to get them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean going back and, and even just talking, and I'm not trying to make this all about Tennessee. Talk about quite a turnaround they've ha- they've had. I mean, Josh Hupel has really rebuilt that program. And when Tennessee is good, it's good for college football. I mean, for a while, they were an elite program. And when Philip Fulmer retired, it kind of went downhill. They've had some struggles. Tennessee is back. I mean, I don't know if you saw the video or pictures from that stadium on Saturday. It looked absolutely incredible. Dude, they the way they really, had the checkerboard. They have a really crazy fan base that – really deserves winning um they love their college football in tennessee i will say that for a fact they love the balls so um yeah i i'm rooting for them to to win out the sec i think that'd be so sick for college football and Mm -hmm. um it in you know along the same lines as, as tennessee uh texas is one of those teams that when texas is good college football is so much better and they go out there, and then they lose this weekend at Texas Tech. They, they did. They yeah, lost. So, and they started the season off so hot. I thought they were going to beat Bama, and you know, it's it's going to be really interesting with how how they play this Steve Sarkeesian situation. So, um, yeah, I think he's the coach for the job. It's just like. Man, they can't catch a break with uh, yours getting hurt and all that stuff. It's been rough, and then you have Robinson, who's your best player, fumble it to begin overtime. Like you just you can't write it, man. I mean, and again, just looking at college football schedule, that ah, uh, October fifteenth, Alabama, Tennessee, that's going to be a fun one. Just talking SEC, but I mean, as far as the top twenty-five goes, your top ten: Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson. Top five. Then USC four, they pulled out quite a win at Oregon State as they were struggling, but a good win for them. Uh, Kentucky seven, Tennessee eight, Oklahoma State nine, NC State ten. Any of that top ten kind of surprise you, or or kind of just are you okay with everyone that's in the top ten right now? I'm pretty okay. I think I'm not super impressed with Clemson so far this year. Still, from what I've from what I've seen. They haven't looked super great. Elite. I know DJ is playing a lot better. Um, that performance against uh, Wake Forest he had, that might have been what he needed as far as for to really turn his career at Clemson around because that was impressive. I'm really surprised NC State's in the top ten. I think that's – wow. Um, <laughs> but they, they're going to have to play some tough competition here. Uh, the ACC is one of those conferences that kind of eat their own. <laughs> Pretty much, dude. Because here's the thing. Let's say, for instance, like Clemson loses or one of these ACC teams loses. It's not a scenario like with the Big Ten or SEC. If they lose, that they can probably still get in the playoff. 
the t- they just don't play a hard enough strength of schedule. I right. mean, as you're rounding out the top 25, I think what really – the one that really surprises me here – and um, well, real quick, we're gonna have a, there's going to be a great match. Kentucky's at Old Miss this weekend, 7 at 14. Yeah. That'll be a good one. Um, but a surprise to me – and, again, I'm not trying to, like – I'm not going to criticize too much. We're still early in the year. And I think Kansas State deserves to be ranked after going to Oklahoma and beating the Sooners. I do think they deserve to be ranked. Martinez, baby. That's Nebraska can't catch a break. But uh, Kansas should be ranked. Kansas Jayhawks should be ranked in the top 20. I really think they should. It's been a long time that they've even had, let alone started off this well, the fact that they won three games in a season. So – I think they deserve to be ranked personally. They're going to have a tough tough couple games too. They're probably going to have to play what? Oklahoma, Texas, one of those two. I yeah, their ske- their schedule. So I mean, they beat an undefeated Duke this weekend. Um outside of that, they did I mean, they beat Tennessee Tech, but they beat West Virginia. I mean, that's they beat Houston. They have Iowa State now, TCU, Oklahoma, and Baylor is their net. And, oh, and then Oklahoma State comes to town. Man, so yeah, dude. If they went out though, if they can some, dude. Even if they lose just one or two games, I mean, it's the turnaround they've had this quickly is kind of insane. It really is because for a, normally when you're a new coach, it takes time to build a program. It does. I mean, this is a guy Lance um, Leipold that came in last year at the very end of last year and just immediately start turning the program around. And they've been great this year. I know Nebraska's talked about he's on their shortlist for hiring them. So, good for Kansas, man. I mean, obviously, I can't stand them in basketball. I really can't. They're also <laughs> committed multiple recruiting violations. But, but anyway, good for their football program because some of these teams have struggled. If they can build their programs back up, I want to see it. So, yeah, definitely man. wishing them the best. We still got quite a few undefeated teams in the Big Ten: um, mm-hmm. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, uh, Minnesota, still undefeated. So we got quite a few teams uh, that are still in the the hunt for that Big Ten championship. Um, Michigan State, I don't think ranked anymore after after that loss to Minnesota. They lost pretty bad. It was like thirty four seven. Mm-hmm. Well, real quick, JD, my, my apologies for interrupting you. I realized something. We were talking Ohio State Rutgers. We had our guests give us the score. We never predicted the game. So, real All quick, right. real quick, what's the score? Obviously, the spread is 39. Does Ohio State cover the spread? And what's the final score? 39 is a lot. But, yeah, we're covering we're covering the spread. Um okay. I think we score 8 touchdowns. Okay. I think we I think we won the game 56 to 3. 56 to I don't Man. think Ooh, you don't think they score a touchdown. I don't think they score a touchdown. Okay. All right, fair enough, fair enough. I don't think Ohio State covers the spread cuz it's a 39 point spread. Um, I do think though, this is, I think we're going to put up a lot of points. I think I'm going to go, I think we're going to put out, put up 56 points here. Yeah. I think it's going to be, man, you know what? They are going to cover the spread. Cause I don't think what, I don't, I don't think Rutgers can score that much either. So I'm going to go with, I think Ohio state's going to put up 62 actually go 62 to 10. I think Rutgers gets a touchdown. I do. I mean, in garbage time. But, guys, thank all of you for tuning in tonight. Remember that you can follow the Network 216. We are all live on all platforms right now, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. We are also on Instagram, and that's all at Network 216. Brand new on TikTok as well, at Network 216. So be sure, go follow us on those platforms as we bring you daily Ohio sports content. And right now, we have Down with the Browns is going to be live on all platforms as well. They're going to be previewing the Browns and Falcons for week four, but also recapping an awesome Browns victory against the Steelers. 
Thank you guys all for tuning in tonight. This has been the Scarlet and Gray podcast. We will talk to you all next week. And go Bucks, baby. Oh, wait. I owe.